Join the big show Friday, August 9th from 3 to 6 at the Warehouse, 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. That's the Warehouse. Time to talk college football now with Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network's football analyst. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Yogi, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? We're doing well. We saw that you were in, uh, well, you're on the move now, so you're no longer in Utah. But this week you're hitting a lot of campuses and you've already hit the Utes. And we saw some of the stuff you put up on uh, social media. You're really positive on them. You're really high on them. And I think Ute fans are wondering, okay, I think they're good. But I don't know if they're that good. And let's start with the passing game. Do you feel like they've got a, a passing game that's good enough to be championship level for them? You know, 250 yards a game, 30 points a game. This defense would be in great shape if they had that to work with. Do you think the offense can provide that? We're going to find out, you know, and I think tomorrow uh, I did a podcast and doing one in every place where I talked to Britton Covey legitimately about that in the passing game and, you know, can this team go as far as Tyler Huntley's arm can take them? And I, I think, you know, the one thing that we don't know because we haven't seen it at least as of late in the Pac-12 is what this offense is going to look like in this conference. Uh, but I will say after my short snippet of being there yesterday, I'm a, I'm a believer um, in this receiving core. You know, I think they, they're, they're much deeper and much more talented than I think we all generally, we, we all may think. You know, I know for me, I had a kind of question mark around that position group. And after watching them yesterday, um, I don't know if they have like a first rounder. Like they don't have, obviously who I'm going to see right now, but, I'm a fan of the of the group, you know, and they compete against every day. And then you watch the system, you know, this is a, this is an execution-based system in my opinion. You know, this is not, you know, spread them out, find some green grass, get a couple, you know, three or four first downs a game just based on tempo. I, I don't think that's what this offense is. You run, play action pass, et cetera. And I thought Tyler Huntley looked, he looked like a quarterback to me on every level for the first time in my eyes in terms of his stance from under center. You know, kind of an awkward, staggered stance. Look at him now, and he looks like everybody who's been playing under center forever. So I, I just think there's a comfort level there probably for him that I would imagine. And I do think that this this team, with their ability to run the ball, I was really surprisingly impressed with their offensive line against the defensive line all day yesterday, being able to move the football. I think they'll be just fine. You know, the biggest thing will be, can he be accurate? Um you know, the two deep balls that he's got a chance at, got to make them, you know, when that happens against UW in a huge game later on in the season, against USC at the Coliseum in late September. I mean, those are the things where you can't miss. And I don't think we'll know until we get to the games, but I do, I, I'm confident in the passing attack much more than spring or much more the last couple of years. And a lot of it's based on mechanics and how you know, that, that receiving core looked and, and mechanics of the quarterback. Yeah, I can buy that, particularly as you're comparing to recent seasons. Uh, my thought is as you compare it to teams that would make the playoffs, because that's ultimately, or the playoff, the 14 playoff, that's ultimately, if you're going to put them on that level, that's what you're competing against, not necessarily themselves from the prior years. You also spoke on if they get some breaks, which you said 
every team needs. You did a little thing that you put out before you left campus where you said, you know, the teams that get in the playoff, they need breaks. What type of breaks would you specifically say that the Utes would need in order to achieve that pretty much dream come true? Well, I think the laundry list is long, but one would be health, you know, and, and they haven't gotten that break the last couple of years. A quarterback, I can remember the game against Arizona a couple of years ago, and they're rolling. Kevin Huntley gets her same deal last year, and even though Jason Shelley you know, is the most accomplished backup quarterback in this conference, he could argue one of the most accomplished in the country based on this performance, um, you know, they still struggled moving the ball. And I'd like to think that healthy Tyler Huntley and Maybe that's a different game in the Pac-12 title, you know. Does he account for seven points a game? You know, I don't know. You know, against UW's defense, but I don't think it's crazy to think that he does. So I think that's the biggest one. But I think the ball also has to bounce their way a couple more times, you know. Special teams, turnovers, you know, things like that that just kind of happen. You know, you look at Clemson last year and Chase Bryce having to come in against Syracuse and, and running back just makes some plays and things happen, the penalty here or there. And those are the things I think every team gets bailed out on. And, and that's why I think this team has a chance to be a CFP team. You, know, you look back in history, and I think we think college football, and, and I know I do, and I think of Tua and his touchdown coming in in overtime. You know, I think of Trevor Lawrence. But, and then we forget about some of the other quarterbacks, like J.T. Barrett. You know, J.T. Barrett, it's not like he was uh, – and I love J.T. I don't think he was in high school, but – and Tyler Huntley, I think, are good comps, you know, in terms of not like the most ridiculous uh, uh, passers, you know, but a nice dual threat quarterback, but more of a passer than a runner. You know, I think there's where areas where you can say, yeah, they got an elite defense. And I've been on the sideline for CFP games. This looks like a CFP defense. They've got an offensive line that looks like a college football playoff offensive line, in my opinion. And they have one of the top running backs in the country. They've got enough capable receivers um, that I think can play at that level and win against, you know, elite DBs from other conferences. Um, so it'll be, you know, it'll be a small margin for error, but I don't think it's, it's overhyped. You know, if you go back and if you do this, I save all the preseason SI covers, you know, for the last decade or so. And I think back to like UCLA on the cover with Brent Hundley, USC on the cover with Sam Darnold. You can kind of go down across this conference Khalil Tate last year, and they were all sexy at the quarterback position, but they weren't, you know, in other areas that really lead to championship football. And Utah is, you know, and that, that's why I think they've got the ability and capability to represent the Pac-12 Conference and be a legitimate, legitimate CFP team. You know, they got to prove it, but the focus I saw yesterday after talking to some of the players, you know, here we talked to Julian Blackman and Jalen Johnson together. Um, it was awesome, man. Like they, they, they're saying all the right things, and I, the actions to me backed it up. And uh, you know, I can't wait to see how it plays on the field. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network analyst, join us here. How much separation is there between Utah, Oregon, and Washington at the top of the conference? Because there wasn't much in the preseason media poll. These preseason power rankings and polls we're seeing—they're all ranked between 11 and 15. It looks like. Do you see any separation? Well, I would add, you know, three more teams. I'd add Stanford, I'd add Washington State, and I'd add SC. Because everybody's beating each other, kind of. You know, Washington State's beating Stanford and Oregon. I think Oregon since 2015 and Stanford since 2016 and something like that. You know, you look at obviously UW's dominance over some of those teams. Um, The Oregon beat UW last year. 
I think SC is like the sneaky team in this conference, and none of us would be surprised if Stanford won the Pac-12 North. So I think, you know, you look at those teams, they're really competitive. And a couple other teams can knock you off. Cal being one of them who's done it. Polio when he's healthy, you know, they could be scary. Arizona State, I mean, I'm going to get to see them tomorrow, but, you know, they'll have the ability to play mistake-free football with a really talented defense. So I, I think the margin in this conference isn't that great in terms of the top teams that you referenced. Um, but I do think that has dynamic defensive front. And I always go to, like, how many next-level players do you have? And when I can remember going back back in the day when I was at SC now, but every starter found their way to an NFL training camp. And I look at the defense of Utah, and I think every starter will get to an NFL training camp. You know, at least that we project. You know, even, you know, whoever wins the cornerback spot, like Josh Nurse looks exactly like you dreaming up the corner. You know, I think everybody's going to get to your camp. Some will be first-round picks, like Bradley and I and Jalen Johnson. Some will maybe be second-round picks. Maybe Julian Blackman, I'm sure he could play his way into one or the other. Uh, They're real in that regard. You know, I think when you look at some of the other teams, every position, at least on one side of the ball, I don't know if it's like that or if you project that right now. But I'd say with real confidence. Who wouldn't? You know, even Devin Lloyd, he looked exactly like they're supposed to look at that position. And Kyle and I talked about that yesterday around him kind of assuming that starting spot based on the early retirement from Manny Bowen. So I I think that Utah, I'd give them the edge on the defensive side. I think offensively, for me, you know, SC is always going to have ridiculous power. You know, I think they get the best receiving core in the conference, at least the top four, and Washington State is the best receiving core top to bottom in the conference in terms of having six, eight guys that are real. So you can kind of make an argument at a bunch of different position groups on the other, on the offensive side of the ball, but overall, you know, senior veterans, you know, played a lot of ball, played in big games, chip on the shoulder, and go back to Kyle. He's developed this program, you know, in, in a beautiful way that I think is a blueprint for success. You know, it wasn't let's go get a bunch of quick fixes. Let's go try to get a bunch of four-star kids that and miss on them and we become Washington State in 2002, 2003. And that happened to them when they won the Holiday Bowl over Texas. They got into the finalists for a bunch of four-star kids. We didn't get any. And the program went to a dark place for a couple of years. So I just love the consistency, how they built it. You know, the backbone of this team is strong. And I think they're, they're, they're positioned to, to do what, you know, some of us have you know, projected them to do this year. So you've been both a player and a coach at a high level. Uh, how do you like playing a rival game right off the bat as opposed to maybe what Utah has done historically? Not always, but most of the time they have an easier game that first game. I think it's, it's really interesting. You know, we got our research department looking it up, but the only last time you played a, an opponent at the end of the year and then kicked it off again with them, you know, it hasn't happened very often. I can't imagine. At least, you know, in my mind, in college football, you know, I love it. I think it's great uh, for the game. I think it's great for this program. You know, last year was so awkward with having clinched the South and having to play BYU in a game that nationally it kind of didn't even matter because it's not like Utah was going to the college football playoff, and if they won the Pac-12, they'd go to the Rose Bowl. It's kind of one of those weird games. Um, and, and it was a weird game to watch, you know, and I think, you know, I wonder what the players would say, but it just seemed funky. Even when you talk to people around the program about that week, 
um, the timing of it. So, so I love this. I think for Utah historically, you know, I called a lot of the opening games, and you know, whether it's North Dakota, here, you know, and it was Weber State, like they're kind of close, you know. So I think it's great for you know training camp focus, and they're gonna have to come out of the gate, you know. And clearly, it's gonna be an emotional night, and all the stuff that the rivalry is that you guys know better than I, but you know, kind of grew up just watching this game every year. And I, I think it's good. I think it's great when you know. Big time teams have big time games to kick off the season, and this is one of them. So I love it. Uh, it. It definitely competes against, in a good way, guys getting complacent and reading how good they are. Yeah. And I think this team in this era, Coach Whittingham or Chris Peterson, David Shaw, they always say the same thing like, we can't get away from the hype, so we just got to talk about it and deal with it. And I think it helps to deal with it when you got a legit opponent week one that, you know, was handling you for, you know, the better portion of a game a year ago. You know, it just wasn't a couple freak plays. Um, and then a great comeback, you know, BYU gets an offset in that ball game. So I, I love this matchup for, for Utah in terms of the timing. Would you advise West Coast teams to play football games at 9 a.m. or Mountain Time Zone teams to play football games at 10 a.m.? I think I would advise uh, teams, if they were going to do it, I'd want to do it if I was an early morning practice team. You know, I, I think, you know, the, the rhythms of our body is real. All the science and would support that. Um, so I think, you know, it's early to practice in the afternoon. Uh, but I wouldn't want to do something where you know, it was a competitive disadvantage. And, and I think that's the biggest thing with this deal is that, uh, you know, number one, it was a great discussion point, which has created a ton of dialogue. And then, two, no team's ever going to be forced to do it. So, I think all the coaches would kind of look at all things considered and say, yeah, this is best for our program. You look at Utah, and I don't know their record at night, but I know it's crazy at home in terms of beneficial uh, day games and the kind of middle of the road. You know, I've called a couple of their upset losses over the last couple of years during the day. So I'd be curious kind of where the staff nets out. I think as a coach, you love early games because Saturday is kind of like your only day with your family when the game's over. So you get to shut it down and, Coaches would want to play at 8 a.m. if they could. But I think when you look at all the things in college football, um, you know, regarding performance, I would go with, you know, what's best for the kids and what are they used to. And then the other thing I would add that doesn't get a lot uh, of play is the night before the game. And I think this year you're going to see it in college football. I know a team in the Pac-12 is going to do it and take away the phones from the kids after the final team meeting. Just because of all the blue light just keeps them up. You know, and I think you know, sleep has become a, a vogue topic, and rightfully so, in terms of its impact on performance. So I, I think there's something around that, too, in terms of just making sure guys are rested. So whether they have to wake up at you know, 5 a.m. or whatever the time would be based on the early kickoff, you know, they weren't you know, scrolling through Instagram at 11.30 at night, but like legitimately shutting their bodies down and not putting things around their body or their brain that can keep them up. And clearly the, the, one of the negatives of the cell phone. So you listed, when we were talking about potential contenders, you extended the list out to about five or six teams and all can make legitimate cases for winning their respective divisions. I wanted to ask you about those other five or six teams that are out there in the conference, and some of them, well, all the South teams, but a team like Cal in the North that is on Utah's schedule how good do you think these lesser ter- teams can be in terms of possibly pulling off an upset? Well, good, because I think, you know, 
I think players are human. You know, quarterbacks are human. You know, quarterback, you know, Taylor Huntley's not going to go all season long in every game throw for 70% completion percentage. He's going to have a game that's, you know, he doesn't play well. It just happens at every level, uh, at every stage of football. And, you know, you look at a game like Cal, and, you know, granted, it's at home, which is huge for Utah in terms of going up against, you know, one of the better defenses in this conference. And then scheme-wise, you know, what Coach Wilcox does is he really tries to make everybody play left-handed. So he'll make Tyler Huntley have to win that ball game. He'll make that, that receiving core, whether it's three guys or an eight-man rotation, he's going to make them have to win and win against an NFL secondary. I mean, we talk about Utah and UW secondary all the time, rightfully so, but Cal is not that far behind. You know, they're not as elite, but Cameron Bynum, you know, Hawk and Ashton Davis, you know, they're real dudes. Elijah Hicks, like they're at, they're next level players as well. Uh, so that that's a circle game in terms of that. That's going to be hard uh, just for Utah based on where it's at. And you look at that stretch of games for them with UW coming up the following week, you know, even Oregon State, ASU, Cal, like those three should be locks for Utah. But they'll be they'll be challenging, you know, just because at Oregon State it always is, you know, especially if they steal possessions running the football, which is what Oregon State does at times. ASU, you know, Benjamin, uh, I was having a dialogue with somebody on the sideline yesterday, like, who would you take, Eno or Zach Moss? And that's a real discussion. You know, Eno is so shifty. He's so good on inside zone runs and finding little creases that he can, he's going to make it hard, you know, on those linebackers throughout, throughout that ball game. So, I think your point's really well said, and I hope it gets echoed, you know, around the country because, you know, all too often I think it's easy to say, well, big non-conference games, and that's all that matters in the Pac-12, and and if you don't go undefeated, you're not going to get a four seed in the playoff. And I think that's a crock, you know. I think that's totally uh, inconsiderate to the schedule of games and where the games lay out and the reality of the middle of this conference. I think much more talented in the middle of majority of conferences around the country. And I hope that the 13 member committee recognizes that because you look at every team goes through their window, you know, for Bama, it's when they play Tennessee or Ole Miss and they get a lot of hype around those games um, because maybe is it an upset, you know, probably way more hype than a Cal versus Utah game could potentially get. But I look at those very similarly in terms of big time opponents against teams that are really respected in the conference. Maybe not as much around the country. So are you still in the honeymoon phase of the first year of the marriage? Oh, yeah, man. You know, look, <laughs> I walked into that thing with huge expectations <laughs> and huge. I, I never knew, knew if I was ever going to make that, you know, that call on my call sheet. And <laughs> it's exceeded it by 10x. So, you know, it's, it's way harder being away than I thought. I'm only in day three of this training camp tour, and, you know, I got 11 more stops, you know, including this morning. So I'm, I'm going to keep it moving. But uh, I think my schedule is going to allow the honeymoon phase to – I think it's going to extend, like, to the Rose Bowl because I'm going to be gone three or four days a week. Okay, yeah, I see Really what you're every week of the rest of the season. Yeah. So I think uh, my timing you – know, I'm pumped like uh, the Jeff Rudy and me, the director of ops. And, yeah. You know, proud of the, the day of the wedding, the date, and uh, I think I'll be able to get the most out of the honeymoon phase as humanly possible. No, you get a you get a honeymoon extension with the separation due to the work travel. I understand what you're saying. I hope so. I'll let you, if not, then uh, I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to figure that out. So but in other words, she, she won't awesome. she won't fun. get sick of you because you'll be gone. Yeah, 
That's right. right. Okay. That's right. That, that, that's the idea. I got it. I understand your optimism. You're an optimistic guy, Yogi. <laughs> but I'm, I'm telling you this, and this is a fact. You can mess things up while you're on the road. So you got to be on your game at all times. It's a different kind of game. Sometimes you're running the clock. Sometimes you're in the two-minute drill. You still got to be mm-hmm. on your game. I like that. That's what I'm going to call her right after this. Get there you go. That's what I'm talking. All right. Yep. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Yogi. All right, guys. Thank you. Have a great day.